here. Well, I'm extremely here, happy hold that on. you're I here. I need to uh, crack open a cold one. Ooh. That was a good one. That was a real good one. Hot fucking July day. It's a Monday. Feels like a Monday. It is Monday. It's Monday, dude. It feels like a Monday. Oh no, it's Monday. How are you? I'm extremely exhausted, but you know, overall, I'm good. Relatable content. I'm good. Yeah. You know, just living the dream. Aren't we all? Doing the thing. <laughs> Whose dream it is, I don't know. I hope they wake up soon. <laughs> That's all I'm fucking <laughs> is gonna say. That is all I'm gonna say. Please wake up soon. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. I never told you about the strange dream I had the other night. We were in this house and there was this like orange mossy stuff hanging above the doorways. Delicious. And then we realized that in this orange mossy stuff, which apparently came from down south, dream logic, down <laughs> south, this orange mossy stuff was filled with all of these teeny tiny orange spiders. I knew you were gonna say spiders. My brain was like, I hope it's frogs. I really hope she says frogs. But I was like, nah, I know in my heart of hearts it's gonna be spiders. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, it gets better. No, it gets better. I don't want it to get better. So, we were walking around and you got mildly miffed because you realized that the spiders were coming from the orange moss onto our personage. Well, these orange spiders were cold because they came from down south. So, they thought if they, like, you know, climbed down our shirts, they would then be warm. <laughs> But then we realized that I don't like bugs. The orange, they were like pumpkin orange. These lovely little orange spiders were like nice and they were just a little cold. So we took them inside. Apparently in my sleep, I started. It sounds like a nightmare, not a dream. You should have said that I was in your nightmare. Well, see, that's the weirdest thing is that in the It was dream, good vibes. <laughs> it was really good vibes. And I wasn't afraid of these spiders. I was like, oh, they're just a little cold. Like, it's all right. You want to, like, hop on my back? It'll take you somewhere warm. That's cool. <laughs> it was extremely good vibes. What were you on? That sounds awful. This was after the Streetlight Show. So, so PBR and, like, dopamine? Yes. That's your happy dreams. I can't. Like. I, I don't know. But apparently in my sleep, I started kicking like a dog. Like, you know how when dogs dream, they start kicking yeah. their legs? <laughs> apparently I started doing that in my sleep and had a very concerned look on my face. And <laughs> Bailey was very worried because he thought I was having a nightmare. And yeah. contemplated waking me up, but didn't. And then I, when I eventually did wake up, he's like, are you okay? Like, were you having nightmare? I was like, no, I'm all right. <laughs> it was weird though. It was like, there were spiders everywhere. And he's like, oh my God, are you sure you're okay? And I'm like, no, it's cool. Cause Thank nice you spiders. Bailey for having the proper reaction to that. It's like, oh yeah, no, there's just spiders all over my body coming down from this like orange moss stuff. Like you have the right reaction to this. Not, oh no, it was like a good dream. Like, good vibes all around. We just, like, chilled. Spiders are my homies. Like, no. That's how it was in the dream. 
The spiders were my homies. See, and you have dreams where you're friends with spiders. I have dreams where the Easter bunny kicks me into a black hole in the middle of Walmart. You help him. Where Most else? of my nightmares take place in Walmart. Where else would your nightmares take place in? So, uh, that's how my day's going. But anyway, we're completely off fucking topic. I know, I just had to tell you and I thought it was entertaining because we were talking about whose dream this is and then I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, my dream. <laughs> Side quest. Side quest at the very beginning. Well, hello, all you vicious little parasites, and welcome back for another episode of Cryptology. Once again, I'm your first host for the next hour or so, Salem, and today I identify as frantic percussion music. Ooh. I think it's very fitting after the weekend we had. Frantic percussion music. I think I'm just like a sad, out-of-tune violin. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> With me today, I have the only person I wouldn't exercise if they haunted me in the afterlife, Michaela. I would be highly offended if you did exercise me. I would never. The thought doesn't even cross my mind. I was like, if Michaela showed up as a ghost, I'd be totally fine with it. And ghosts scare me. That's one of the things, they, something about ghosts just freaks me the fuck out, dude. You know how much I hate exercising, so if you <laughs> exercised me, I would be highly offended. Yeah, I would never. I wouldn't even think about Thank it. You. Thank you. That's true love, friends. Absolutely. Well, today's tale is one filled with magic, mystery, and dabbling in the unknown. What once started as a harmless game meant to bring fun for the whole family quickly grew into having the reputation of one of the most evil objects in existence. The Luigi board. M -m Mario! <laughs> But you know, personally, I enjoy Ouija boards because it gives me a chance to hang out with my grandma. Just kidding, just kidding. Ouija good. boards are legit awful. I was gonna say, I thought you hated your grandma. <laughs> I love my grandma! Don't you dare talk ill of my grandmother. Rest in peace, Granny. I love you. Um, yeah, I don't fuck with Ouija boards, though. Yeah, me neither. No. No. No, 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 no. I have a couple times in my life, and I just want to say, like, I don't regret much as a human being, but I regret that 100%. I never have and I never will. It's it's one of my like firm no's. That's in completely life. understandable. Is Ouija boards is like uh all aboard the nope train to fuck that vill. I, yeah, I don't blame you. I, I enjoy the aesthetic. I have a Ouija board mug. I enjoy the aesthetic, but I never <laughs> would. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking shit. But I would never actually use a Ouija board. That's weird. <laughs> are, are you okay? No! <laughs> I have a fucking it's, demon in my chest. His name is Truly. <laughs> It's like, is that a truly beast trying to escape? <laughs> Holy hell. <laughs> well, the info for today's episode comes from a 2013 Smithsonian Magazine article titled The Strange and Mysterious History of the Ouija Board, a 2016 Time Magazine article titled Ouija, Origin of Evil and the True History of the Ouija Board, and an article titled Truth Seeker, Use Ouija Boards at Your Own Risk from the News and Centennial, a local West Virginia paper. West Virginia. West Virginia. 
Enter the world of the mysterious and mystifying with the Ouija board. You've got questions and the spirit world has answers. The uncanny Ouija board is your way to get them. What do you want to know? Ask your question with a friend using the planchette that comes with the board, but be patient and concentrate because spirits can't be rushed. Handle the Ouija board with respect and it won't disappoint you. Recommended for ages 8 and up. This is how you'll find the Ouija game described on the Hasbro website, where with a few simple clicks and $21.99 plus tax, you can have the ability to talk to spirits shipped directly to your door. See, this is, it's such a bad idea just to begin with, because thinking about believing in whether or not the Ouija actually works, it is the equivalent of asking a life-altering question to a random stranger on the street. You're just like, hey, should I sell my house? Should I quit my job? You don't know who you're talking to. And so you're just gonna like, take the advice of who knows what? It's just, I, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, no, and it really turned out to not be a good idea for most people. Mm-hmm. In today's society, the Ouija board and Ouija-related imagery are incredibly mainstream and super easy to find. You can find clothing, jewelry, home decor, movies, and much more adorned with the Ouija's trademark name. Coffee mugs. Exactly. Coffee mugs. I have a dress with a Ouija board on it. I have planchette earrings. There's Ouija shit everywhere. All of the wares. The desire to use Ouija boards has grown to the point where there are even Ouija board apps that you can download on your phone to make summoning demons on the go more convenient. I don't think that would work the same way. Probably not. Highly doubt it, but you know, it's it's all up to the imagination. It's like a magic eight ball. Yeah. And I'm sure there's digital magic eight balls where you shake your phone. It tells you an answer. There's apps for everything. (laughs) Continue. Well, how exactly did the Ouija board grow to this level of popularity? According to Robert Murch, a Denver-based self-described chairman of the board at the Talking Board Historical Society, who has been studying the Ouija board for over 25 years, says that no one really knows where the Ouija board came from. Its origins are kind of unknown. It just started popping up in spiritualist camps like around the United States during the 1800s. That's mildly sus. Exactly. The history of the Ouija board is about as mysterious as the Ouija board itself because it just kind of came to light and showed up one day. Didn't get popular though until a little bit later. The time spiritualism was growing super quickly in the UK and then the Fox sisters appeared in upstate New York in 1848 spiritualism started working its way into the United States and that's when spiritualism really hit its peak was in the mid 19th century according to the Fox sisters they would ask the spirit a question and then slowly recite the letters of the alphabet and the spirit would rap on the wall to the corresponding letter until it had spelled out an answer. Kind of similar to the way Ouija boards work, just a lot more complicated of a process, and it took a lot longer to do it that way. Due to the growing popularity of the Fox sisters, they started recreating their spiritual encounters in parlors across the state of New York, 
and the Fox sisters, among other spiritualists at the time, became more sensationalized in the national press due to their ability to bridge the gap between worlds. It was really accepted easily by the American people, surprisingly. It's, like, surprising, but also not in many ways. I mean, these are people that immigrated and are trying to, like, find their own way, and a lot of people are moving west, and sometimes people just want that connection to ancestors, some kind of root to these people that were massively uprooted in many ways. They left their heritage behind, and I feel like that could have been some sort of way to connect with something that could root them. That's definitely part of it, because one thing about the Ouija board is it was appealing to everyone because it, it didn't go against their already super strongly held Christian belief, like the afterlife. And during this time period, there was a lot of disease and a lot of war going on. The average lifespan was under 50 years old. So when people showed up and said, hey, you can talk to your loved ones in the afterlife, mm -hmm. it was very, very appealing to a lot of individuals. So with that, seances became super common practice across the country, and many would hold what they called table turning parties, which is kind of the media depiction of what a seance is. That's when you have a table with people sitting around holding hands, one person asking questions, and then the table starts to shake. The horror movie depiction of a seance, they would call them table turning parties. Mary Todd Lincoln even held seances in the White House after the death of her and Abraham Lincoln's 11-year-old son. As spiritualism got more popular in America, people started having complaints about the process of speaking to the dead. You see, asking the spirit a question and having to wait to hear knocks after certain letters wasn't a quick task, and oftentimes people would get impatient, or should I say, Ouija bored. <laughs> It didn't take long for the public to start asking for a quicker, more efficient way to communicate with their lost loved ones. Well, a man in Baltimore, Maryland, named Charles Kennard, caught wind of these mystical talking boards that were being used in some Ohio spiritualist camps after an Associated Press report and decided to capitalize on it. In Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, spiritualist camps in Ohio is where... The Ouija boards kind of got their start, but they weren't called Ouija boards then. They were just talking spirit boards or boards. spirit boards, yeah. oracle boards, you know. Huh. Was not expecting Ohio, but let's go. Well, in 1890, Kennard pulled together a group of four investors, including a local attorney and a surveyor, and together they opened the Kennard Novelty Company to make and sell these talking boards. Now, this group of men were not spiritualists. They were just savvy businessmen who had found a niche in the market that they could fill. Kennard then brought his idea to E.C. Reich, a cabinet and coffin maker, who supposedly made the first few boards for Kennard. The investors had their product, and now it just needed a name. And I'm sure that most people who are already familiar with the Ouija board know of the belief that the name stems from the French oui and the German ja, but according to the interviews and research done by Robert Murch, the board actually named itself. What? Local attorney and investor Elijah Bond had a sister-in-law he claimed was a strong medium. And that's actually when the term medium got coined. He invited his sister-in-law to come use the board. His sister-in-law, Helen Peters, along with the five company founders, sat around a table in true seance fashion as Helen asked the board what its name was. The board proceeded to spell out 
O-U-I-J-A. And when asked what Ouija means, the board replied G-O-O-D-L-U-C-K. The building that the Ouija naming seance took place in is still standing. It is now a 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> eh, typical America. Literally, though. Well, before the Kenner Novelty Company could start selling the Ouija board, they first had to prove that it worked. And in order to receive their patent, the creators had to prove that the board would do what they were saying it could do. Elijah Bond, along with Helen Peters, took the Ouija board down to the patent office where the board was tested. The patent officer asked the board to spell his name, which was said to be unknown by Bond and Peters. Whether the work of spirits or perhaps Bond's career as a lawyer, the board correctly proceeded to spell the officer's name. The company received the patent for their new quote-unquote toy or game. In February of 1891, the Baltimore-based toy company started running advertisements in the newspapers for Ouija, the wonderful talking board. The ads claimed that the mystical device could answer questions about past, present, and future with marvelous act. Marvelous? <laughs> marvelous! I didn't know Marvy had anything to do with this. No, not at all. Okay, about past, present, and future with marvel. Mar- I can't say that fucking word today, dude! <laughs> Marvelous. Marvelous accuracy. There you go. Got it. I just have to say it's super dramatic. Marvelous, Marvelous accuracy. <laughs> the company promised never failing amusement and recreation for all of the classes. The Ouija board's popularity took off and other newspapers started advertising the board across the Northeast. A New York paper called the Ouija interesting and mysterious, and it was advertised as a link between the known and the unknown, the material and immaterial. The Ouija that sold back then was extremely similar to the ones you can find on store shelves today. It contained a flat board printed with the letters of the alphabet in two half circles above the numbers zero through nine. The words yes and no in each of the upper corners and the word goodbye adorning the bottom. Each board came with a tear-shaped device called a planchette that had a window cut out of it, which you would look through to read the board. The biggest difference between Ouija boards from back then compared to now is instead of cardboard and plastic, they were made from wood and sold for only $1.50. Wow. Discount Satan, anybody? That's cheap. Right, and they were made out of solid wood, and so is the planchette. Like, they were made with good material and sold for $1.50, and now you're charged 30 bucks for one made of cardboard and paper. You can make one yourself. I have made one myself. In middle school, I think. Bad idea. Oh, yeah, and my friend's house was, like, already haunted, and creepy shit would just happen all the time. I'm sure the Ouija didn't help. Oh, not at all. I played it with a Ouija like twice in my life, and I have family members that have also fucked around with a Ouija board in their life and have freaky stories about it. Everyone I've ever known who has ever touched a Ouija have freaky stories about it, and I'm good. Yeah, I'm just like really, really, really not about it. Me neither. I like creepy. I like spooky. I don't like that. <laughs> See, I like creepy and I like spooky as long as it's not happening to me. I want it at arm's length. Thank you very much. Right. Like, I play Phasmophobia all the fucking time. And it took me months to even touch the Ouija board in game. Because (laughs) I didn't want to fuck with it. I, I told my friends that. I was like, I don't mess with Ouija boards 
in-game or real life. Yeah. But now it's my favorite thing, and every time there's a Ouija board, I get so excited, and I just ask it a million questions. <laughs> <laughs> I have to satiate the want somehow, and that won't get me possessed. That's fair. That's fair. Well, the idea behind Ouija boards is that two or more people would sit around the board and place their fingers on the planchette. Then the players would pose a question, and the planchette would move around the board, seemingly of its own accord, spelling out the answer. Now, when the company first received the first patent for the Ouija board, it didn't disclose how it works, only the fact that it does. The mystery surrounding how the Ouija board worked played into its popularity and in lining the pockets of our businessmen. By 1892, the Ouija board became a national sensation and was picking up in other parts of the globe. In the two years since obtaining the first patent, the Kenner Novelty Company expanded from one factory in Baltimore to two in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London. Wow. That is fast. Yeah, in two years, they expanded like crazy across the U.S. and two different countries. In... 1893, Kenner Novelty Company restructured and parted ways with two of its original founders, Charles Kennard and Elijah Bond. The company fell into the hands of William Feld, a former ground floor employee and shareholder who, in an ironic turn of events in 1927, fell to his death from the roof of a factory the Ouija board told him to build. Irony, anybody? In 1898, Fold got the blessing from the remaining shareholder, Colonel Bowie, to license the product and be the sole distributor of the Ouija board. Ouija board sales and usage surged in the 1910s through 20s during the Prohibition and First World War. Understandably so. Right, with tons of people dying, lots of people were wanting to talk to their family members. That's a trend you saw with the Ouija board, is whenever there was an influx of War, crime, disease, there would be an influx of Ouija board usage. The Ouija board's success, along with Fold's, skyrocketed while other talking boards at the time launched and failed. The Kennard Novelty Company, now named the Fold Company, opened up new factories during the Great Depression to help keep up with the demand for Ouija boards. The demand for the new Oracle grew so big that in 1944, a single New York department store sold 50,000 Ouija boards over the course of five months. Well, I mean, add in a lot of uncertainty in the times, and people would definitely be seeking answers somewhere, and that somewhere just happened to be a piece of wood. You want to know a fact that, like, blew my mind? Mm -hmm. So, in 1966, Parker Brothers bought the Ouija board from the Fold Company, and the year after they did that, in 1967, two million Ouija boards sold, and the Ouija board outsold Monopoly as the highest selling game that year. Well, I mean, Monopoly is excruciatingly boring. So. I love Monopoly. <laughs> you can shut your damn mouth. It's boring. It's fun. You just have no patience. Correct, Mundo. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Ouija board's continued success can be linked to the fact that it draws the attention of so many different types of people of different ages, professions, education levels. Depending on the hands the Ouija board falls into, it could either be viewed as a tool of entertainment or a tool of the occult. During a time when it was inappropriate for people of the opposite gender to be together in the same room, the Ouija became a perfect date night activity. Just imagine it, you know, sitting together, knees touching, fingers touching. 
Ooh. It's in the dark. That's like early 1900s foreplay right there. Like, that's Ooh. just perfect, that's right? That's so nice. You get the candles going. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Spirits. So lots there. of, lots of young... Young kiddos, young ones, would use the Ouija board as a way to get close to the person they were crushing on. Also, some early 1900s poets credited the Ouija for dictating poems that they would then write down. So I guess you could call the Ouija board the OG (laughs) ghostwriter. The early uses of the board stretched so far that even the police were using them to try and gain clues and leads on murder cases that they were solving. Oh, what? Because they couldn't just actually investigate them? You know, do their damn jabs. (laughs) The rise of the Ouija board in America also meant a rise in weird circumstances being reported in America. One woman was taken to a psychiatric hospital after leaving her mother's deceased body in their shared living room for 15 days before burying her in the backyard because the Ouija told her to. That's gotta smell. Awful. That'd be, like, you would not be able to get the smell out of that carpet. No. It would just be rotting corpse smelled house forever. Just, like, The resale value would just slow down like crazy. Stewy flesh. No thanks. That's fleshy and freshy. Two women in 1930 also made headlines for murdering a woman on Luigi's behalf. One of the silliest cases, though, in my opinion, was that of Miss Helen Dow Peck. In 1958, a Connecticut court had to reach a decision on whether or not to honor the will of Miss Peck. In her will, she left $1,000 to two of her former servants and $152,000 to Mr. John Gale Forbes, an unseen spirit that she had been in contact with on her Ouija board. They ruled that the ghost would not be receiving his inheritance. I mean, what good is worldly money to a ghost? You know how pissed I would be if I were her servants? I'm like, we get a thousand dollars and a ghost gets a hundred and fifty-two thousand? Yeah, nah, I'd be real pissed. Like, no, if you're gonna turn me into a ghost if you're giving me that money. Like, hell no. Uh Well, the Ouija remained non-threatening to the American public until 1973 when one movie crept its way onto the silver screen. The Exorcist. Bum, bum, bum. I would say spoiler alert, but this movie came out in the 70s, so if you haven't seen it by now, that's a you problem. In the movie, a young girl, Reagan, becomes possessed by the evil demon Pazuzu after using a Ouija board. And when the exorcist hit the theaters, the creeping fear of the evil lurking inside the Ouija board started to haunt people's minds. Pazuzu. Pazuzu. (laughs) It's the name of the demon in the exorcist. The Ouija board was depicted as a portal to another world where evil spirits can enter the physical realm to cause death and destruction. But if the portal is a little hazy, Maybe try using a squeegee board instead. (laughs) Seemingly overnight, it became a tool of Satan and started being seen in horror movies ever since. In 1991, Hasbro, who bought out Parker Brothers, still sold hundreds of thousands of Ouija boards, but the feeling around them had changed. Instead of being mysterious and fun, Ouija boards were now viewed as eerie with the potential to be dangerous. I find it interesting that it was around for, like, what, almost a hundred years before that sort of viewpoint on it changed. Oh yeah, no, it was super normalized because 
there wasn't the fear around it because it was primarily used at the time to talk to deceased family members and there wasn't a negative connotation around it as much as there is today and that's because of the presence of it in horror movies and that's when religious groups started picking up on it and really pushing that the Ouija board was a negative thing because in movies like The Exorcist, there's all of the religious imagery that goes along mm-hmm. with the Ouija board. So, you know, it shows religion good, Ouija board occult bad. Mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting, too. I just wanted to note that William Castle's 13 Ghosts, the original 13 Ghosts, came out in 1960, also portrays the use of a Ouija board, not necessarily for evil but there is possession from use of the Ouija board and lots of spooky things happen just throwing that out there interesting outside of the movies the Ouija board was being condemned by religious groups left and right being called Satan's main tool of communication in 2001 groups across the country were burning anything and everything related to the occult ranging from Ouija boards and metal CDs to copies of Harry Potter and Snow White. Why Snow White? Don't really know. Because there's a witch Witch in it it. that dabbles in the occult. The strength of the allure behind the Ouija board is so strong that it has even infiltrated the paranormal community. People who are used to the occult still won't mess with Ouija boards because there's... A lot more to it than people think. Well, some psychologists believe that Ouija boards can provide a link between the known and unknown, but there is some science to back up how Ouija boards actually work. According to scientists, Ouija boards use something called the ideomotor effect, and that's unconscious muscle movement. So it's your unconscious brain moving your body. It's like when you're laying in bed at night and your legs just twitch randomly for no fucking reason. the ideomotor effect. Dowsing rods, pendulums, and fake bomb detection kits also heavily rely on the ideomotor effect to work. It states that the brain can store things in the subconscious and that those things can be reflected through expressed actions against your will. The theory was tested by asking people a series of yes or no questions and having them make their best guess on the answer. First, they had the participants answer verbally, then they they would blindfold them and have them answer a different series of questions with the Ouija board. For the test, they made the participant believe that there was another person doing the board with them. First, they had a robot do it with them, and then they had a person sit down with them but take their hands off of the planchette to make the person think that they weren't entirely in control of their actions. Well, when answering verbally, the participants were only right about 50% of the time, which is normal for when you're doing yes or no guesses. But when answering with the Ouija board, participants were right 65% of the time, which was a drastic difference. Like, that's a scientifically significant difference. It proved that the non-conscious mind is way smarter than anyone ever believed before, and that you're unconscious subconscious can do things that people didn't think it could which i thought was really interesting i mean we only use a small fraction of the brain like actively use it so that would kind of make sense because at that point you're using the subconscious so you would be technically using a little bit more of your brain whether actively or passively well and with ouija boards there's always an expectation of magic 
which kind of makes it more likely to happen. When you expect the fantastical to happen, your brain is more likely to play tricks on you to make you think the fantastical is happening. Planchettes were also designed to slide across the board really easy. They put little felt pads on it, so that way the smallest muscle movements will cause a larger reaction. Also, group mentality plays a huge role because it takes the credit off of everyone for moving the planchette. Because if you're supposed to clear your mind and loosen your muscles, and if the more people you're doing it with, and if everyone's going, well, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. It just plays more into the fantasy side of things. Regardless of what side of the veil you're standing on, one thing rings true, and that is not the Ouija board is not going anywhere anytime soon. As a culture, we have a fascination with the dark and what works in it. The Ouija board gives people something to believe in, but if the belief starts feeling too real and the evil spirits start to overwhelm your mind, you can remind yourself it's just a game. Well, thank you for joining us on another episode of Creeptology. As always, it's a pleasure getting to share our titillating tales of terror with y'all. If you have any questions, listener stories, or topics you're interested in, you can send them into us at creeptologypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at creeptologypodcast with new episodes releasing every other Thursday anywhere you can stream. So until next time, little parasites, stay creepy and don't forget to say goodbye.